Welcome to the Global Elections Podcast. I'm Jason Manchester. This is the second part of our look at the Spanish general election. For the background of this episode, you should listen to part one. Like many countries, Spain has a blackout period for election polling in the week before Election Day. To get around this, in the internet age, the newspaper of record for the country of Andorra, a microstate sandwiched between France and Spain, publishes a daily summary of public opinion polls. And these secret polls still show that the parliament will make it difficult to put together a working coalition. Polls today have the Conservative People's Party at 28%. The left-wing Podemos is still holding its place in second at 24%. The center-left Socialist Party is a close third at 22%, and the centrist Ciudadanos is strengthening at 15 If these polls hold, it is not clear that Spain will be able to form a functional parliament. To discuss this election and what comes after, I'll be speaking with Dr. Robert Fishman, Connex Marie Curie Professor of Political Science and Sociology at the Carlos III University of Madrid. Uh, hello, Jason. Hello, Professor. How are you? Please call me Robert. Robert. So we're into the end of the polling period, and so if polls end up where they are currently, um, the parties remain deadlocked as they seem to be right now, um, what can we expect to happen in the weeks after the election? If the results are what the polls now seem to indicate, it seems that the Socialist Party will face a major decision, which is whether they want to reach an agreement with Unidos Podemos, the parties to their left, or if they want to abstain and permit the PP, the conservative party currently in government, to continue governing. In order for that second scenario to be possible, it would also be necessary for the Partido Popular, the right-wing party currently in government, to reach an agreement with Ciudadanos, the center-right party. And that's not necessarily going to be possible, but it probably could be possible if the socialists would agree to abstain. But uh, that decision would carry enormous consequences for them. And um, it's not at all clear what they'll do. Of course, we don't know what the results will be. There's some indication in the last tracking poll, which was released today and which, as you indicated, is only made formally available through a website located in Andorra. But it's a Spanish um, newspaper and a Spanish polling operation that carries out the polls. Oh. And that indicates some decline in the support for Unidos Podemos and some increase both for the socialists and for the Partido Popular. Um, so there could be some movement uh, in the close of the in the close of the campaign. One never knows, but it does seem likely that um, after the election, the socialists will have a major decision to make, and no one knows what they'll do. Sanchez, the leader of the Socialist Party, um, he's already indicated that he will not support uh, either Podemos or the Partido Popular for the prime ministership. He said that he would be prime minister, but. He's not going to support them, which seems a little odd uh, to say it outright. I mean, saying that he will not produce a functional government following these elections. His statements have been open to some range of possible interpretations. He clearly um, would prefer to be prime minister. And in the Spanish 
uh, terminology that's called president of government. There's some confusion sometimes because the Spaniards call their prime ministers presidents, president of government, the person who presides over the government, okay? He says that um, obviously that he'd like to be uh, the prime minister, but that doesn't mean that he's necessarily totally closed the door to other arrangements. Um, he indicated that the leader of Podemos will not be prime minister, but it's always conceivable that Podemos could um, present someone else other than Pablo Iglesias, their party leader, as their candidate for prime minister, um, perhaps the number two in the party or someone else inside their party. And um, depending on the exact results of the election, it's also possible that Podemos could support naming a socialist prime minister. Um, the other possibility is that the Partido Popular could change leaders. But one way or another, it's going to be a very, very difficult decision for the socialists. There's um, a certain amount of disagreement inside the Socialist Party about what they should do. And the party leader, Pedro Sanchez is not in as strong a position inside his party as he would like to mm. be. There's obviously also another element of the parliamentary balance of power, which Canadians can well understand and people in many countries can well understand, which is the fact that there are nationalist parties uh, in various regions who, which will have a certain, um, a certain number of deputies in the parliament and they could be very, very important to decide who can govern. Some of them are in favor of independence uh, for their regions. That's particularly true in Catalonia. And it creates an added level of uncertainty. From the Canadian perspective, uh, I mean, the, the Bloc Québécois, it's an anti-state party. It would never support a government except insofar as it would try to dismantle the government. Um, do you see that as the sort of the ultimate aim of the nationalist parties of Spain? Well, um, the answer is more complicated than some people might like it to be. The largest nationalist party in the Basque country, the PNV, um, is not really in favor of independence. It's in favor of increased autonomy. Um, they had six deputies in the last parliament, and the predictions are that they'll have either five or six in the new parliament. And those deputies could be quite crucial to form a governing majority. They would prefer to work with the socialists if possible. They are much more comfortable working with the socialists than with the right-wing Partido Popular really for two reasons. One is that they can more easily reach accommodation on questions having to do with um, regional prerogatives, uh, so to speak, and also on socioeconomic questions. They're closer to the socialists than to the right. And Podemos itself is, supports national self-determination. Um, yes. Uh, Podemos is the only party present throughout Spain. Well, Podemos and Izquierda Unida, the other left-oriented party, hard left, which yeah. It is, yeah, which, with which it is allied in this campaign. They're the only national parties which are willing to recognize something which most social scientists see as rather obvious, and that's the fact that Spain is a multinational state. I mean, as is the case in Canada, the United Kingdom, and a number of other countries, there are Spaniards who have different national identities. And um, many Spaniards who live in Catalonia or the Basque country would say that their nation is Catalonia or the Basque country. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in favor of independence, just as a uh, person who lives in Quebec 
can easily call the parliament of the province l'Assemblée Nationale or the National Assembly without necessarily being in favor of independence. Um, But Podemos stands relatively alone in its willingness to recognize the fact that Spain, in terms of the identities that people feel, is a multinational state, and they are willing to permit um, the regions, which have a distinctive national identity, to hold referenda to decide um, whether they want to remain inside Spain or not. And that's something that the other uh, large parties present throughout Spain are not in favor of. Yeah, it's funny, uh, like the Ciudadanos are specifically against that. I would say that that, as, as far as I can understand as an outside observer, they are the party that seems to be the most interested with maintaining the kind of the unitary nature of the, the Spanish state. Well, I think I think you make really a very, very good point. Ciudadanos um, consistently presents itself as being a centrist party right in the middle of the political spectrum. But on the issue of territorial organization and national identity, there are those who argue that Ciudadanos is actually the most conservative or the most centralist of all parties um, in Spain, even more so than the Partido Popular. There may be some room for disagreement over that point, but there are many people who, who whose interpretation is exactly as you suggest in your question. The history of Ciudadanos is um, quite relevant in this regard. It's a party that was born in Catalonia in order to defend the perspective of Spanish speakers and of um, people who identify strongly with the central state of Spain uh, inside Catalonia. The party leader, Albert Rivera, is Catalan. He speaks Catalan, but he's not playing the same sort of role in Spanish politics that the Trudeaus have played in Canadian politics. Well, it's interesting, though, because Trudeau, um, he's basically an Anglophone with a French name from Quebec. The, the Anglophones of Quebec are some of the most um, anti-Quebec nationalist people that you'll ever meet, whereas people other parts of the country are, are somewhat ambivalent. Uh, the, the Anglophones of Quebec are, are strongly anti-nationalist and strongly pro this kind of, um, you know, mainstream Canadian identity, Canadian Anglophone identity. Spain has a similar set of complexities and a similar set of mixed identities. And that's a basic part of the social and cultural reality that Spanish politics needs to deal with. But um, there is a difference, at least to my mind, between um, the way the Trudeau family, both the elder Trudeau, who was prime minister for so many years, and his son, the current prime minister, there's a big difference between them. And Ciudadanos and Albert Rivera in Spain, um, Trudeau, the current prime minister, is quite comfortable and happy to speak in French and in English in public. And he delivers speeches sometimes that are bilingual, which are in which he expresses himself in, in both languages. Albert Rivera, the leader of Ciudadanos, prefers to speak almost exclusively in Spanish in public. And whereas the elder Trudeau as prime minister, in his effort to save Canadian unity, tried to defend the rights and interests of French speakers in um, the Canadian system, not only inside Quebec, but outside Quebec, um, in Ottawa and throughout Canada by introducing um, incentives for federal employees to know 
French as well as English and so on, whereas his goal in a sense was to improve the status of the French language outside Quebec, the goal of Ciudadanos has been to reduce the status of the Catalan language inside Catalonia. And so you're absolutely right in saying that Ciudadanos on the question of national identity and territorial politics is not really a centrist party. And that is one reason why it's very, very, it would be very difficult for a coalition to be formed in Spain, which includes Ciudadanos and regional nationalist parties. Ah. The Basque nationalists could join a coalition with the socialists. They could join a coalition with Podemos. They could join a coalition with both the socialists and Podemos. But they probably could not very easily join a coalition or support a coalition, which includes Ciudadanos. Interesting. So uh, let me ask you, with all this fracturing, um, in your opinion, is the two-party system in Spain over? That certainly appears to be the case. Support for both the Partido Popular and the Socialists, the two large parties which dominated Spanish politics for uh, several decades, support for both of them has declined a good deal. And there's no sign that it's recovering in any large measure. Um, but I think the answer to your question is very difficult to answer with absolute certainty because um, the answer really depends on what happens inside the parties. If one of the new parties had a major internal crisis, then I suppose that we might get back to three parties. It would be very difficult at this point to get back to two main parties. Hmm. And so I think we have a three or four party system in the national party system with a number of regional nationalist parties, which also command significant support. And the issues on which parties differ with one another cannot be reduced to one lone dimension of disagreement. There is disagreement on socioeconomic questions and also on issues having to do with national identity. And that makes it really quite difficult to form a governing majority. Because they'll never actually be able to get their base to agree to this to a coalition with one of these parties when there's so much disagreement? Well, that's possible. I mean, most observers seem to believe that an agreement will be reached after the elections that are to be held this Sunday. Um, that's the conventional wisdom. And um, one doesn't know in advance if the conventional wisdom will be right or wrong, but that is what most people expect. So um, you've done a lot of work on income inequality. Um, so let me ask you, uh, the success of Podemos, a movement to address income inequality, has brought international attention to the Spanish election. But in spite of its current economic problems, Spain has been one of the countries with the fairest income distributions. Um, why does this discourse work in Spain today, but not in countries with a more lopsided distribution of income? Well, that's a very, very interesting question. Um, it's true that Spain's um, level of inequality has been somewhat more favorable than many people who have never actually looked at the data might expect. Um, but um, Spain has been a more unequal country than Sweden, Denmark, et cetera, the most um, egalitarian countries of Northern Europe. But um, for some time, Spain um, was indeed a good deal more um, egalitarian in the distribution of income than the United Kingdom, than the United States, and somewhat more egalitarian even than Canada, okay? So um, it's a country that did 
fairly well for a significant period of time in terms of income inequality. There are a variety of reasons why that was the case. The Spanish welfare state was a fairly good one, and there were other reasons as well. But um, that's really no longer the case. Um, that is to say that Spain is becoming more unequal. Um, that direction of change is one that is shared with many other countries. But during the period of economic difficulties, which began in 2007, 2008, Spain has become significantly more unequal. There is an increase in poverty. There's a significant increase in job insecurity. And if one looks at the most commonly studied statistic, the Gini coefficient, it's clear that Spain is becoming more unequal. That's not true of every country in Europe. The neighboring country, Portugal, is actually becoming more equal, or at least that was the tendency in the first years of the economic crisis that began in 2007, 2008, um, so that um, the politics, the policies, excuse me, being carried out by governments under difficult economic conditions in Greece, Italy, Portugal, and Spain have pushed more strongly in the direction of increased inequality in Spain than in several other cases. And that does matter to many Spaniards. Um, it's not the only thing that matters. People are also concerned about the loss of job security. Um, they're concerned about the fact that many young people feel they need to emigrate in order to find a job. People are concerned about the fact that Spain has the now the second highest unemployment in all of uh, the European Union. It has a very high unemployment rate. It's a much higher unemployment rate than in Portugal, Italy, or France. So there are many sources of social discontent in Spain, and rising inequality is one of them. So uh, in your work on inequality in, in Spain and Portugal, you cited that um, a relatively low number of Spaniards at the time, and I, I believe this was 2006, 2007, a relatively low number of Spaniards supported the idea of policies that redistribute wealth, whereas a majority of Portuguese, the Portuguese citizenry did. Um, would you say that that, with the increase in income inequality in Spain, that that would have changed significantly? Well, there is a growing perception in Spain that inequality is increasing, and it's a problem, according to all indications, that is a, a source of concern to many, many Spaniards. So yes, there's, there is growing concern over exactly that point. Um, it's not exactly that there was no concern over inequality in Spain prior to the economic crisis, but it's true, exactly as you mentioned in your question, that in Portugal, there was very broad consensus of well over 70% of the population uh, that was in favor of governmental policies uh, that try to reduce inequality. And as a result, that means that in Portugal, even governments of the center right um, have tried to take account of the effect of their policies on the distribution of income. And on occasion, they've engaged in significant efforts to try to help people at the lower end of the income uh, distribution spectrum. Interesting. Would you say that that's why there's no Portuguese Podemos, no Portuguese uh, Syriza? And that's more or less what I'd argue. Um, there is very good work by, um, by other scholars showing that Portugal is the country in the zone of Europe, which has had to adopt austerity policies, which has done most to um, promote equality, 
or inhibit the growth of inequality in the way um, austerity has been implemented. My argument in my um, publications and research is basically that for a variety of historical reasons, the Portuguese political elite, to some extent across the political spectrum, although perhaps more on the left than on the right, is inclined to pay attention to the voices of dissatisfied citizens. Um, when people demonstrate in the streets, the Portuguese political leadership feels it has to pay some attention to what they have to say. Not so in Spain? To a much lesser extent. Um, can offer a very, very small point of contrast between the two countries, which I think rather effectively illustrates the point. In Portugal, many, many demonstrations end at the steps of parliament. The demonstrators who are dissatisfied take their cause to the seat of legislative and governmental power so that their voices will be heard there. And on many occasions, they've been invited in to speak with the representatives of political parties. On some occasions, all political parties have, uh, have been interested in speaking to demonstrators to hear what they have to say. In Spain, it's illegal for demonstrators to take their cause to the steps of parliament. Um, it's seen, it's been historically seen by the Spanish political leadership as representing an um, unacceptable form of pressure on the country's elected institutions. And so it is for that reason illegal for demonstrators to reach the steps of parliament in Spain. Thank you very much. And uh, can we do this again if there's another election in six months? <laughs> in principle, yes, um, so long as we find a time that works for both of us. Robert, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate this. It's my pleasure. All right. Take care. Be well. Bye now. Dr. Robert Fishman is the Connex Marie Curie Professor of Political Science and Sociology at the Carlos III University of Madrid. His books include Working Class Organization and the Return of Democracy in Spain, Democracy's Voices, Social Ties, and the Quality of Public Life in Spain, and The Year of the Euro. We reached him in Madrid. Before I leave you, this weekend, as a publicity stunt, the leader of a small far-right party called Vox unfurled a Spanish flag at the Rock of Gibraltar. Gibraltar is a tiny overseas territory of the United Kingdom which borders on Spain and is claimed by Spain as Spanish territory. The activist who put up the flag spent the night in jail, and then, as an act of comic symmetry, his lawyer was also jailed as he tried to take publicity photos of the defendant in the courtroom. I'm telling you all this because we're recording this in the early hours in the morning after the UK election referendum. It's not at all clear what impact Britain's exit from the European Union will have on the Spanish election, or indeed, on Spain's relationship with Gibraltar. But one can't imagine that it would be good for the two mainstream parties, both of whom are completely tied in their support of the European project. Election day is Sunday, June the 26th. The Global Elections Podcast is produced at the James Street Studios in Ottawa, Ontario, by me, Jason Manchester. Special thanks this week to Richard Gunther of The Ohio State University. You can find The Global Elections Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm on Twitter at, at @jkmanchester, and you can follow us at facebook.com backslash globalelectionspodcast. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher if you like the show. It helps people find us. Thanks for listening.